Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Vector, where we discuss topics, trends, and insights shaping and driving the global space ecosystem. I am your host, Kelly Kiedis Ogborn, and today is all about Puerto Rico and their space ecosystem and value chain from research to industry. Unfortunately, Joel Pisa was not able to join us today, but we are in more competent hands with uh, Gail Towers-Nolan, who is the CEO of the Puerto Rico 5G Zone Blockchain Ignition Lab, which is a nonprofit zero trust architecture secured research laboratory that is focused on applied research regarding telecommunication based technologies. She was previously the chief strategy officer um, at Invest Puerto Rico, where she managed asset identification and strategic business development. In 2023, she was appointed by the governor to serve as the chairperson of the infrastructure subcommittee of the Council for Aerospace and Aeronautics Industry within Puerto Rico, and was also appointed that same year to be the president of the technology chapter of the Puerto Rico Manufacturers Association. She is a certified economic developer through the International Economic Development Agency and Council, and she has won national recognition awards for innovative development projects. Notably, in 2016, she served as the core development partner for a pilot program between NASA and the Economic Development Administration on a really cooperative agreement to engage regional industry in technology transfer projects from NASA. And she has also held public office on a local level. Gail, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, uh, Kelly. It's always funny when people do your your um, bio, your your intro. That um, it, it sounds like a mouthful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and it's always it's always interesting and kind of strange to hear about yourself. And you're like, oh yeah, I did all those things. Let's right. let's set it up and run with it. But I'm I'm really excited to talk to you today because you know, given your background, and that was just an abbreviated version. You have really engaged in the Puerto Rican development ecosystem from so many different levels, right? From civil service, private investment, economic development. And I think that's a really good way to, to couch this because the more that I learn about Puerto Rico, the more that I talk to you, it really is this, there's this dynamism within the island about what's happening within the space, space ecosystem that I don't think a lot of people know or are able um, to fully grasp how it can impact them within their their space business. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving in with you. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm excited for this conversation because I think there are so many perceptions about Puerto Rico yeah. um, that we need to um, shift significantly and mm -hmm. uh, make people more aware of some of the dramatic things that have happened on the island, not just recently, but in the last 60 years. Oh, absolutely. Well, and to, to start, I'd love for you to, to give us a, like a high level um, idea about what that ecosystem looks like, because as I mentioned, it's very multifaceted, it is complex, and it does stretch everywhere from academia to established businesses and also public and private. So could you let us know a bit about, you know, how do these entities work together and what is your role within that? Sure. So um, one thing, so again, talking about perceptions and changing the the narrative about Puerto Rico, people don't realize. And when I went to Puerto Rico about five years ago, um, and I would say to people, Puerto Rico is the number one um, producer of pharmaceutical and uh, mm -hmm. uh, medical device goods in the U.S., like twice the next nearest state um, that is producing. And that's a big deal. Um 
because that kind of manufacturing is very high skill, um, high compliance oriented. Um, and so it's endemic within the entire population of Puerto Rico, that concept of not just manufacturing, but sterile environment manufacturing. Um, again, high compliance, critical life manufacturing. And so it was a really natural um, transition for the island about 10 years ago to look at other life critical manufacturing opportunities, um, which emerged um, from an aerospace um, industry perspective. And so we're coupling that now with, um, you know, this, this really great historic um, cultural understanding of a manufacturing concept, and then we're expanding it to be multi-sector. And then because of the geographic location of Puerto Rico being close to the equator, um, as the uh, space industry has started to um, really uh, take off, no pun intended, or maybe yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, the island just is a natural um, a place to develop that industry. So we've done a lot of projections on that um, and data just points to, to strengths in every area um, that we think really supports uh, national security and, and space industry uh, growth on an international level. Yeah, well, and I think that's such a great point to illuminate about the manufacturing strength and this heritage within the island of doing really um precise, um, I would say components along even that value chain. Cause a lot of people, when they think about the space ecosystem, they don't necessarily realize that they have these, you know, um, very local industries that are driving growth within this, within the space ecosystem that they can leverage and then iterate upon to create better processes, better technologies, better capabilities, as opposed to reinventing the wheel and thinking that they don't have anything to stand, to stand on. And because you had this heritage, this, this ecosystem has sort of grown organically and it continues to grow and also allow this baseline of new capabilities to come about. It, exactly. Um, and in fact, so that human capital piece is so important. And this is kind of where the the uh, disaster um, of Maria comes in as well, is because the space industry requires really high levels of critical intelligent infrastructure um, in order to support a localized industry, um, mm -hmm. as does the pharmaceutical industry. Um, the pharmaceutical um, uh, and medical device industry actually survived the hurricane quite well. Um, oh, we had plants that um, major uh, multinational companies that lost one shift of production during uh, Hurricane Maria. Um, and so a lot of the things we see on the news were very rural areas, um, which was tragic that we it took so long to get some of the utilities back. But from an economic um, a driver perspective, the, the disruption was, was minimal. However, that event gives us the chance to kind of redesign our critical intelligent infrastructure to really maximize some of the assets on the island. I just think that speaks to the resiliency of the Puerto Rican spirit and also the industries, right? That it, it is a good opportunity to be able to locate efficiencies and be able to maximize them, um, but not really lose that economic critical infrastructure. And what other industries, um, so we, we talked about manufacturing and we talked about pharmaceuticals, which certainly are going to be extremely critical in um, opening up a lot of opportunity in space and, and particularly 
Because, you know, as we talk about commercialization in low Earth orbit and as we talk about the cislunar economy, I truly believe that technologically we will get there. It's the human piece that's necessary to scale and sustain. And that really does come down to space medicine, pharmaceuticals, infrastructure, like taking Earth out of the equation. And so that industry is going to be increasingly relevant. Um, but I also know that there are some pretty established other industries within Puerto Rico and companies that really play into the space ecosystem. So could you touch upon what some of those are as well? So um, I would say the two top ones that come to mind is logistics and mm -hmm. Puerto Rico being an island. Of course, logistics is a, um, a critical element. And again, um, it's, the island has a very high location quotient in terms of concentration of expertise in logistics. And so we're seeing the potentiality for future point to point logistics from the island of Puerto Rico. Oh, that's um, great. Using both sub suborbital or, or potentially hypersonic uh, flight as a real opportunity and leveraging that uh, historic expertise in a new way. And then the telecommunications industry in Puerto Rico has always been um, uh, very strong and, and um, some, some large national and multinational um, corporations, names that we've recognized, um, have been founded on the island of Puerto Rico. Um, Additionally, you know, and again, going back into the aerospace, you know, Honeywell, which has significant um, operations mm -hmm. on the island and um, very focused on the space side of their business operations. So, so again, there's, there's a lot of things that have emerged that now that we're at this moment of saying, okay, it's time to look at the spaceport. And, and we were approached by um, you know, uh, professional professionals within that industry about considering doing the spaceport. And as we started looking at all of the intersections, and so you mentioned microgravity, um, it's very important to the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I think about a third of the experiments on the International Space Station are pharmaceutically sponsored, um, but it's also important to medical device because of the, the hardening elements um, that you can uh, get yeah. in space. So it's not just the microgravity, it's the radiation and there are other unknown elements yeah. um, in space that really help. And so when you're, um, you know, I, I like to cite two different examples if, if I could use um, this time, but one would be, um, there's a company that manufactures artificial retinas and their uh, success rate when they're manufactured on Earth is about 25%. And the reason is because it's about layering um, various uh, uh, layers of protein, one on top of the other. And so there's a sedimentation issue with it. So when you're in space and there's no gravity, you can perfectly layer each of those layers for that artificial retina, and they're 100%, um, they have a significantly higher, um, like 100%, you know, or slightly below um, success rate. And so the idea of manufacturing in space sounds um, very uh, uh, science fiction, but it's not. Um, yeah. It's really important because of that control. And then on the flip side, um, from a, a drug perspective, and many people heard this, that there was an elementary school that uh, they were trying to do an experiment in partnership with the International Space Station. And one of the boys had a severe allergy in the class. And so they put um, in their ex uh, experiment payload, they put uh, an EpiPen. And it was the first time that we discovered uh, um, 
as scientists, that EpiPens are ruined. In fact, they're um, lethally toxic once they go into space oh. and return. And so that's important to know um, yeah. as we start talking about the future of space. So all of these things are really important and it ties together a number of different industries. Mm -hmm. So we look at the space port as a space hub. So it's more than just a physical infrastructure. It opens up a, a new um, intersection of various industries that we can then differentiate ourselves from other places, not just in the U.S., but globally. Um, so that, you know, that's what we're always looking for. So when you look at the pharmaceutical and the, the bioscience industry, you know, there's a lot of other places like the Research Triangle, Boston, um, you know, San Diego, where the, there's strengths. But you combine that with the microgravity and the launch potential in Puerto Rico, and it becomes a, a unique differentiator for the island to be able to, to, to uh, do that. And then I'd be uh, remiss in my role as the, um, as the CEO of the 5G zone, not to note that Puerto Rico is also, um, so we have a, a research laboratory, in fact, a system of research laboratories on top of a um, research platform at the intersection of foreign domestic terrestrial, non-terrestrial, cooperative and non-cooperative networks. Okay. And what is important about that is it's the only place because Puerto Rico is both part of the U.S. and it has a lot of international qualities jurisdictionally. It's the only place on U.S. soil where you can do research on those intersections. And where that's important is in cybersecurity development um, as you're bouncing in, you know, terrestrial and non-terrestrial. Terrestrial is fiber optics, non-terrestrial is satellite. Um, we're working with a new company that's doing space to ground uh, uh, laser communications. And so all of these things are really important, but all of these things then require security um, research to make sure that we're securing the information and data that's being transmitted. You gave me so many things that I want to pull threads on. So <laughs> this, this is wonderful. Um, so let's start. I want to dig about a bit more into this uh, the, the spaceport, and primarily because what I think is interesting about what you illuminated is partially when I introduced what you do and introduced Puerto Rico, I was talking about this value chain of people, right? So we go from academia to industry. But what you just described is also this value chain of upstream downstream capabilities that really have earthbound terrestrial impacts, but also commercial opportunities in space. And one of the things that I think is very exciting, which when you were talking about microgravity is being able to exploit the conditions of space, like you said, for use on earth to be give better practices, procedures um, that, that non-space companies, right, can can utilize in their day-to-day, -day, but it still has a heritage to space. And when you talk about the EpiPen, what I actually learned recently, which I found fascinating, is your body also interacts with pharmaceuticals and medicine in a different way when you're in space, because gravity and the way that our, you know, um, inflammation system and everything interacts, um, it, that's that's how pharmaceuticals are made. But when you're in different weightless environments, your body's not going to absorb nutrients the same. It's not going to interact the same. And so it really is um, creating this research storyboard of what needs to be examined, but also creating a paradigm for a lot of companies to figure out, okay, now we need to expand into these different eventualities to figure out how to do it. 
Right. No, absolutely. And I, I will say at the first meeting we had for the governor's uh, council on aerospace and aeronautics in, in Puerto Rico, which was really formed for the purpose of developing the story around the spaceport and the economic value attached to the space uh, hub. And one of the secretaries that was at that meeting uh, made the comment that, you know, because it's being publicly supported, it has to engage the entire population of Puerto Rico as well. And so in our messaging, we had to be really conscientious of looking at how does this enhance the, the everyday life of people on the island of Puerto Rico yeah. so that they understand the value. And so you just mentioned um, several really important things. One of the other things in Puerto Rico is Puerto Rico until just recently, and in fact, the number, the percentage is quite high, but until um, very recently, 87% uh, of the world's seeds, and this goes back to logistics uh, strengths, tr um, went, uh, transferred through the island of Puerto Rico. It was the global hub for the majority of worldwide seeds that were being sent to farmers. The reason that's important is in India, they recently did a study where they sent up coriander seeds into space and they did nothing to them. They sent them up, they um, you know, retrieved them uh, back on earth and planted those seeds and their yield was 30 to 40% higher. So we are looking at opportunities for you know, a huge grand challenge solutions using space, um, you know, world hunger and, you know, health and human safety and communications. And so though, that's the story we want to really tell in Puerto Rico is that, you know, this is for everybody and everybody is a beneficiary of the development work that's being done now in space. Oh, absolutely. The economic development and impact argument and conversation is probably the most critical one because we want to create a society that understands why we are doing hard things in space, why we are pushing for exploration. And it's not just a pipe dream to see if we can do it. There's actually real tangible um, ripple effects that are going to, that are going to benefit humanity in just ways that we don't, we don't know yet, but we need to be able to take the risk to see what that looks like. Right. Right. Well, like I said, right now in in um, the industry, the two primary areas of recognition are microgravity and radiation. Yeah. But there could be things that are not present on Earth that we're not even aware of that are impacting things as they go into space. And so that research to understand that is really critical. No, absolutely. And so with the spaceport that, that Puerto Rico is developing, can you tell me a little bit about what the intention is, like like physicality, um, how it's going to interact from this public-private partnership, and then what the timeline is. Sure. So, um, and again, for the audience that doesn't know, so Puerto Rico, in the location where the space um, port is is being proposed and and developed, is a vacated naval base, uh, previously called Roosevelt Roads. It's about 8,000 acres on the east coast of the island of Puerto Rico and um, was closed about 10, 12 years ago. And so that that is basically a brack and it needs uh, redevelopment. It still has a fully functional airport um, okay. that is the second longest airport in the Caribbean. And, and ironically, the first longest airport in the Caribbean is also in Puerto Rico um, on the northwest um, uh, corner of the island that was a um, Air Force 
space. But because of the type of infrastructure necessary for a military base, it kind of has put us well ahead. We're not building a spaceport in a greenfield. Yeah. Um, we have real serious infrastructure that we can transition and an operating airport and, and runway. And so our first approach is going to be towards um, horizontal launch and land uh, okay. uh, vehicles. But we are in the process of evaluating and through our RFP process, we've um, kind of challenged the respondents to the RFP to look at the vertical launch um, potentiality uh, because as, and in fact, at the space symposium, um, we had a great conversation with um, uh, General Stephen Purdy who commented on how important it would be to have east facing vertical launches off the island of Puerto Rico. Um, it was one of my mo more exciting moments at the space symposium, which you know, it's such an exciting place that that's a big, um, it's a big statement to make. But when uh, General Purdy and his aide were taking their phones out and looking at the map to, to identify where the launch trajectory would be. Um, that's amazing. So, so that's where, um, so, th so that's where it's going to be. The timeline now, the, um, the, the um, RFP was uh, launched in uh, February of this year. There were initially, and I, this is all public knowledge, there were yeah. initially five respondents to that RFP. And one of the requests in the first um, uh, session of questioning was, can we see the other entities who are proposers so we can potentially work on um, aligning our activities together so that we're, you know, we're not choosing one or the other. We're choosing the optimal global um, partnership that will uh, maximize this location. So I, the last that I heard, and I am not involved in the RFP designation, we have done four extensions of the deadline. And the, the extensions have all been related to requests by the um, proposers to um, to develop stronger partnerships with the other proposers. That's so it's amazing, my understanding actually. that they've all um, kind of started to merge their plans so that each will have a different area. And as you know, um, space is, um, I mean, again, not to, you know, space is, is vast. We all know that. Um, the industry is vast, but it's a small community at the it same is. time. And so it's really logical to look for those collaborative opportunities at this stage. And so that's where we're at with it. Um, the submission for the um, to, uh, uh, FAA for the license for the horizontal launch and land um, we would expect to hear back on that in May of 2024. Um, I just received a, a call from one of our um, business development directors yesterday who is saying, we've, we've got companies that are interested in launch capabilities in like 2025, you know, the fall of 2025. Is that even feasible? And I was like, yeah, I think it is. And and his next question was, well, when would entities be setting up operations? And I said, well, now. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not going to wait until there's Yeah, that is not a six months prior where you set up operations. That is it. You need a runway, pun intended. It, yes, yeah, exactly. And so it's you know, there 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 is that challenge of explaining that to people that this isn't a future on speculation type yeah. of an activity, you have to, it's just like, you know, 
building a, a real estate um, a project, you want to make sure that you have significant lease um, agreements going in and the entities that are there have to design based on what is two years out. And, and so we're at, we're at the perfect place right now um, to, to receive. And, and again, what I've been told is um, there are numerous through the, the various partners that have interest um, in, in uh, and, and sorry, I'm just going to step back for a second. So the RFP, which was very broad, was for um, development, operations, um, management, maintenance, business development. And so it's the kind of RFP structure that calls for expertise in different areas. Mm-hmm. And so it's my understanding that there are already about uh, 25 companies that have significant interest um, in that development. And so I think that's the tipping point to say, now it makes sense. Yeah. So you have to look at it both from, it's, it is just a real estate project, but it's also an economic development driver. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, real estate always has to come first because we live in a physical world. So you have to have a physical place to be able to do the things and then the businesses will come. Uh, Two questions on that, actually. So are a lot of the companies and the businesses that are looking to respond, are they already in within Puerto Rico or are they going to be coming to Puerto Rico? Um, Primarily coming to Puerto Rico. Um, And we have companies and, um, you know, I have to sometimes be uh, cautious about how I frame this um, mm-hmm. from a non-disclosure uh, perspective. But we have companies with, I'll just give an example, one company that is actually looking at starting three separate companies. And it's kind of the, the strategy is brilliant because company number one is a basically a workforce skill development from an engineering perspective, custom engineering. The second yeah. company would be custom component part manufacturing. And the third company is a ultimate, and we know that this doesn't exist yet, but we know somebody who has a plan for it, um, a fully launch and uh, horizontal launch and land vehicle um, for point-to-point logistics. So again, anytime you do anything in this particular sector, you really have to look, and I loved your analogy of the runway, it's a longer runway than other sectors, um, but the reward the risk reward profile is so much greater as well. And there's a limited number of places where you can do this kind of operation well. And so we're really excited that we're able to leverage those assets in Puerto Rico. And again, not just for Puerto Rico, but for the country as a whole and the industry internationally. Absolutely. And um, I'm going to pull in a concept from the chat because you've sparked a lot of discussion, which is fantastic. And and I think it dovetails really on what we're talking about. So this um, attracting new talent and new economic engines to the island. Um, but how do you work to then maximize the space expertise that already exists within the island? So some of the conversation that's happening is about how do you recruit the workforce that already exists? How do you integrate them? And then how do you actually keep that talent on the island? And this is a really important issue for us. There isn't a conversation, an economic conversation we don't have where we don't talk about the diaspora and how do we bring back all the talent? Because um, when I first went to the island, you know, I would kind of tongue in cheek say the best 
um, the biggest export from the island is the incredible talent that's developed here. And that has to stop. And everybody's in agreement on that. Um, but there's some complexity to that. So how do we make it um, attractive from a wage perspective, from a lifestyle perspective, from, from a security perspective for those families to move back to the island where there have been some um, incidents of, of um a challenge in the last five years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just want to right here interject one point about the hurricane. Ha being a data person, um, we did an analysis after Hurricane Maria and Puerto Rico isn't even in the top 50 locations in the U.S., for um, impacts from hurricanes. You know, it's a small island. The probability of having a hit from a hurricane is small. They've had a couple that are very noteworthy. Um, yeah. uh, but, but from an overall risk level, it's less than, you know, much of the um, uh, East Coast and uh, 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 Panhandle and Texas area. So, so we're, we're, we want to make sure we always uh, give that message. But, but going back to the diaspora and the, and the talent, We've started a number of projects to to engage them back on the island. And it's one of the things that we really promote to these companies is I have done work all over the country and I've never seen such a strong sense of loyalty of diaspora. So, you know, I came from Wisconsin and people who are raised in Wisconsin don't necessarily when they leave to take a a job somewhere else, they don't necessarily say, I'm only taking this for the time being because my goal is to go back to Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, but in Puerto Rico, that's the majority um, uh, opinion of the diaspora is they are constantly looking for that pathway. And so we're constantly working to develop that. Um, and again, with um, opportunities with the Air Force Research Lab and um, uh, you know, defense innovation unit of, of, of that organization. Uh, how do we create opportunities that makes them not just employees, but also gives them opportunities to be innovators? Because I think we do have a very high level of technical skill set. You do. You do. And um, I have a another concept from the chat I want to pull in, and then it builds into a broader question. So um, some of the folks in here are wondering how they can find out about, well, so you talked about the RP, this is being public knowledge, but like, has it been announced which companies are doing this yet? Because they're, they're also curious about potentially partnering and being able to bring in what their firms and their skill sets are. Sure. So you can go to um, the Ports Authority website and there's a page for RFPs. And in that is there are seven of them related to the Seba spaceport. And in that is the first, uh, the document that has the first uh, Q&A response um, publicly, and that lists the five entities who were the original um, respondents from a letter of intent perspective. That's great. And I'm sure that as, as it progresses, more and more information will come out. And the question that I have, um, just about the spaceport is the whole ecosystem around it. Cause I've seen different designs where some of them are just launch, but you know, whenever you just start with launch, it always builds the sustaining entities around it. So is the intent to also have um, microgravity research labs and like other entities beyond launch. So like really creating a sustainable ecosystem for the totality of space. 
Exactly. Okay. And so again, going back to my hat at the 5G zone, we are looking at um, our partner hub advanced networks has the um, fiber optic and submarine cable connectivity, um, the majority of that on the island of Puerto Rico. They have a significant data center um, in um, the Puerto Rico uh, San Juan area around the airport. We are looking at putting a second facility in Umacao, which is right next to where the spaceport would be, and have it be really customized for the types of companies that would engage on that level. So it would have not just our um, Zero Trust Architecture Lab, it would have you know, an industry-facing skip. It would be designed with um, secure training rooms and meeting rooms and hot desks for um, visiting personnel from various companies that would utilize that. So we're really trying to think, number one, how do, how do we create the infrastructure to attract the companies that you're talking about? And then how do we look at the right intersections within those companies for the value proposition? And, and we're actually working on an EDA Tech Hub um, proposal right now to look at what are the enabling technologies and how do we look at the intersection of the of companies that Puerto Rico is just the right place for? So again, we don't want to, we're not doing a scatter shot. Is that a shotgun approach? We really want to be precise in, in what we bring to the island because we want them to be successful. Absolutely. And it and it really does speak to that concept of creating the the pipeline. So there's there's opportunity now, there's opportunities in the future. And to your point about if you're going to launch in 2025, you don't start six months before. It's the same thing with this pipeline because understanding where the ecosystem is going and who you need to pull in and train train now and get their capabilities to a point of fruition so they can take advantage of opportunities is also part of the strategy. It just seems right. a bit less tangible, but it's just as critical. It, it is absolutely critical. And so what we're working on now with several organizations, um, in fact, there's a, a new entity on the island, the Sustainable Development Council. And the idea is to pull together all of us as partners so that um, because it's a big lift for any one entity to do, but each of us will have a specialty and we'll all work together to make sure that we're coordinating um, those elements that include workforce development and apprenticeships. And yeah. um, it's one of the areas actually that probably our next um, uh, a, a big initiative is going to be around workforce um, because we want to make sure that we're doing and and the whole global nature of education and workforce training has shifted a little bit um, to so the less formal um, you know curriculums to certification and you know very specific technology knowledge and so we're looking at creating programs to connect the actual skill to the equipment to the industry and looking at, we did a study with University of Michigan last year where we looked at the growth industries in Puerto Rico and identified critical technology, enabling technologies in, that are current, next, and future so that we know what kind of equipment and capabilities each of these companies need to be successful. So again, now it's just a matter of sorting it out. Yeah, and I I love that you're having that focus because often um, it's 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 screening for aptitude and it's also reskilling and upskilling in a lot of ways because I think that there are so many transferable skills and interests, but the paths to what that looks like in the current ecosystem aren't evidently clear. However, 
we can get people there, right? We just need them to self-select in and then figure out how to build. And when you look at, um, you know, connect, really connecting the island to the global space ecosystem, we touched upon some of these throughout the discussion, but what really are the challenges and opportunities that you see? So we talked about this workforce pipeline. We talked about you're going to have physical infrastructure, which is fantastic. Um, you talked about the optics problem. Are there any others that you see are, are impediments that you're working around? So I think the, and if I could frame this as an impediment, that we have a lot of assets and there's a lot and it's complex to create an environment that makes everybody want to come back at mm. the same time. And there's challenges around that. And so it's really making sure that we address the complexity of the structure and it's no different in Puerto Rico than anywhere else. I don't want to give the impression that Puerto Rico is more complicated. It's complicated anywhere. Um, and I'll even, again, I'll use the example of having worked with a aerospace company in another part of the country as I was doing consulting work for them. And they told me this was about five years ago. And they said, you know, um, uh, five years ago, we would hire out of 20 new hires 18 of them would be um, aerospace engineers and two would be computer science engineers. And now it's flipped. 18 yeah. are computer science engineers and two are aerospace engineers. And so we need to, so two things that they needed is they said, we really need to be able to focus because computer science doesn't teach specialization from a sector perspective. Yeah. And so when you're in aerospace or space, even when we hire highly qualified candidates, it takes them you know, 18 months to learn the uniqueness of FAA regulations as it relates to communication technologies and embedded integrated systems. So, so they were wanting uh, support from that perspective. You know, how, do we, how do we give them exposure? And so this is where apprenticeships will come in. Um, the second piece that they felt was they were in their region, they were one of the only aerospace companies and they were had maxed out in their region the engineering talent and so they were coming they were trying to recruit people to move to that location and they said it's very hard to recruit somebody to move to a location if you're the only game in town in that sector um, because they know that if they come and it doesn't work out they're going to have to move again and so what they wanted to do is let's create critical mass around skill sets and so i would say that's our challenge right now is to demonstrate how skill sets apply to various industries so that people not only have clusters within the, the sector that they desire to work in, but that there is ease in going from one sector to another. So skills that would transfer from, um, you know, the medical device industry where they're yeah. doing very fine um, manufacturing, micro manufacturing of components. And that is really important in space too. So, so that's where we're at now. And I would say that's the complexity is figuring out how to optimize all of that. Yeah. And, and to your point, um, with all of the opportunities proliferating in space, either for new technologies that are going to go up and I'm particularly talking about low earth orbit, cause that's really where people are looking right now and, and cislunar. Um, but it, you are starting to see this hyper-specialization in terms of what industry you're going into, right? Whether it's ISAM, whether it's SAR, whether it's satellites. Um, but there are these overarching skills that you can train students at a young, at a younger age, or even at a, 
at a young professional or mid-career, right? You can always retool and reskill. But I think often people then don't understand what that skill goes toward. Because a lot of times within these verticals of space, we still think of the things that have always been dominant. We think of launch, we think of satellites, we think of astronauts, and we don't realize the broader body of opportunity. And I think you painted it well by talking about pharmaceuticals, by talking about microgravity, by showing that a lot of these skill sets and technologies are transferable. And then you could create a whole business on earth that isn't necessarily direct to space, but utilizing this. So I'm really excited to see what you, um, how this folds out and what you come up with. Well, and we are too. And in fact, we've had a lot of fun brainstorming around some of the ideas and, and one of the uh, two of the more fun um, uh, concepts were we were working with um, some uh, individuals who had contacts at Bacardi, the um, rum producer. And mm. we were saying, you know, really, it's not on it's not far fetched to think because it's based on sugarcane and going back to the coriander study. How does this impact distillation is a chemical process and how do the yeast respond differently? Yeah. And so he said, wouldn't it be fun to have, you know, this rum is out of this world um, because rum, rum is very iconic to Puerto Rico. Oh, absolutely. So there actually was a company out of Bordeaux, France that sent 12 bottles of wine to the International Space Station. And they, and they matured it for a year, primarily to see how radiation and the lack of gravity affected the wine from a cellular level. And when they brought it down, um, they did a taste test between, you know, 30 aged and the one year. And obviously it's different. It tastes, the dip profiles were different, but it was still good. And so uh, that is definitely an area as well, because hospitality, you know, there was a company um, that uh, Doubletree Hotel, you know, the United States um, chain, they shot some of their, they baked some of their infamous cookies in a, um, in an oven in a nano rack satellite to see <laughs> bake space cookies. So I completely agree that there are really creative ways that you can also exploit space for use on earth, but also in these industries that are adjacent, but relevant. Right, right. And yeah. in fact, the woman who was our contact at Bacardi, um, she said her number one thing was that um, she's the smallest investor in the International Space Station, just on a personal level. She had just uh, was interested in it. But she currently works for a company that does um, uh, event management, so musical concerts. And so she was like, could we maybe propose for your grant program, like sending instruments into space and would that fit? And so again, as we started brainstorming, we're like, well, noise is a huge issue from a payload perspective and a yeah. payload uh, processing perspective. And so understanding how noise reacts in space actually would be um, uh, something that'd be interesting. So again, it's not necessarily, you know, music in space, but it's yeah. how does noise, um, uh, um, what what's the impacts and, you know, vibration um, related to noise. So, uh, but anyway, I, so, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's one of those where like the sky is no longer the limit. It's, it's yes, infinite possibilities. Yes. Um, and I, I really want to thank you for this conversation. It has been fascinating. I've personally learned a lot. The chat is exploding. So you have definitely sparked a lot of excitement <laughs> and interest uh, within the island and other people watching. So Gail, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. 
Thank you. And I would be remiss to not mention our partner, Rhodium Scientific, um, who's doing a lot of the microgravity uh, payload uh, processing for us on the island and, and a big part of our grant program. So please um, feel free to reach out. We do have a grant program for uh, microgravity. Um, we're doing a lot of things and there's places for people to get involved. Rhodium is fantastic, the work that they do, and they are just lovely, lovely people. So I'm glad that you you plugged them. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you again, Gail. And to all of our um, viewers, you know, you thank you for watching. Thank you for engaging. And remember that there is a place for everyone in the future space ecosystem. We'll see you on future Vector Conversations. Have a good day. Bye.